Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today, and today we're joined by Michelle Roberts. Michelle, how are you doing today? I am absolutely fabulous today. It's good to have you, Michelle. Uh, Michelle is here to tell us uh, her story and uh, about how uh, God's using her right now. Michelle, just start out telling us a little bit about where you're from and about how you grew up. Well, I was born in New York, uh, Manhattan, New York, in 1991, so turning 30 this year. Wow. Right. <laughs> and uh, I was born in New York about the age of three. My parents got a divorce. Um, my father was abusive, and so at the age of three, she left him and came down to Virginia, where her sister lived. And so that's how I ended up going from New York City to good old uh, Elton, Virginia at the time, <laughs> which was a huge change, but my mom needed to get away from that situation. I was obviously very upset. I was very much a daddy's girl and didn't understand what was going on at the time. And it would take me many more years to understand that yeah. and know what my mom had gone through and how strong it was of her to be able to leave. Um, but of course, my several years as a child going from that, I was very angry, very angry about it. Um, however, as I continued to get older, I started to see that my father was also becoming uh, emotionally abusive to me and then in time uh, becoming physically abusive with me and didn't tell my mom because, you know, I didn't want her to keep me away from him. And she didn't think that he would ever do that to me. Um, she believed it was something he would have only done to her and that he wouldn't do it to his own daughter. And so that abuse would go on until I decided to stop seeing him at the age of 15. To backtrack a little bit, um, here in Harrisonburg, about fourth grade, 9-11 uh, happened and my father worked in the towers. And that day ultimately changed our life forever. Mm -hmm. He lost everything around him and survived that. However, that experience seemed to only elevate and push the abuse even further. Mm -hmm. And as his life crumbled, it was pushed more onto, you know, the anger came out even more. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always feel from that day, our relationship, even the little bit that I had before that day, uh, was gone after that. It was around that same time my mom met Roy, my stepdad. Mm -hmm. I was very much annoyed at the time with him uh, because once again I wanted to uh, have a relationship with my father that just wasn't happening. And so I was a very angry little child to him. Mm -hmm. And I've apologized many times, but we definitely were very angry with each other um, about the, you know, the way I treated him. Um, because of my anger, and then I was just mad at him for even being in the picture in my life. It was sometime in middle school there. I spent a lot of weekends away and at a family member's house and dealt with some more emotional abuse that came from there. And so things kind of just started climbing upon each other. And so about the end of middle school really just started acting out looking for ways to escape the pain I was starting to feel 
from not understanding why I didn't have the relationship with my father, uh, why he didn't want to be part of my life, and why he said the things that he did. It was around this time that I started to believe those words that he told me, that I was not good enough, or that I couldn't accomplish things and I wasn't smart enough. And the big one that, you know, I, I wasn't skinny enough, I wasn't pretty enough. And even though they'd been told to me for years, it was somewhere around that coming into a teenager, I started to believe those words and own them as who I was and that I wasn't worthy and that I wouldn't be good enough. And so I did stop seeing him at 15 because I said I would go back and see him when I was finally perfect for him. Mm. And of course, perfection <laughs> is not something any of us can obtain. And it's not something I now know want to obtain. Right. But at that time, I very much, that was the way I would have a relationship with my father. If I could lose the weight and get skinny and if I could be smarter and, you know, get this, he would love me and want to see me. However, that pain and that want for perfection turned very quickly into looking for an escape. Mm -hmm. And so at the age of 14, started drinking with a friend and coming into 15 years old was when I started dealing with an eating disorder because of just the way that I looked and that compounded the fact that if I used I wouldn't be as hungry and so I became say an alcoholic at 15 very much drinking every day at times before school and high school and then that just wasn't enough at this point I'm really not wanting to stay around my mom uh, she did get married to Roy and however at this point I don't want to be around, it's high school, and at this point I'm now, don't realize it, but in some kind of addiction. Mm. But alcohol wasn't enough, it was too much work for me. And so I went to find the next thing, and it quickly spiraled very, very quickly until I was addicted to heroin at the age of 17. I had to drop out of high school because I couldn't get through the day. And the only reason I have a high school diploma is because of my mom. And I will always, <laughs> always appreciate that they sent the work home. She definitely wow. got that through for me. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciated many, many years later when I wanted to actually go to school. But it really, it showed that even, you know, as a senior, I couldn't even make it a month yeah. or two into my senior year. And I was out. I was 18. And... In my head, I was an adult and could make all my own decisions, and that meant I didn't have to go to school, and I could do whatever I wanted. However, I learned very quickly that I was not an adult and really had no idea what I was doing, but very much an act of addiction. Mm -hmm. It was right about this time, for the first time at 18, uh, realized that something, that I was addicted because it was the first time I went without a day without using and I got extremely ill and it was the first time that I was introduced to what an opiate withdrawal would feel like and in that moment I decided well I never want to feel like this again and so the use just became even more and more frequently so to not feel that yeah. uh, detox or withdrawal and just spiraled even more it didn't take but a few months into the age of 18 before I caught my first felony charges and would begin in the criminal justice system here in Harrisonburg. I was released on, you know, my own recognizance, came out and, you know, they told me you're going to have to be clean and, you know, show up at your pretrial officer, 
but didn't give me a reason why I should be clean. Mm. Didn't give me resources to be clean. They just, I walked out the door. Yeah. And my drug dealer picked me up mm. and continued to get high. Oh. I didn't understand what was wrong with what I was doing. To me, I was just partying. I was allowed, I could, uh, I was in, doing what I wanted. But soon realized quickly with pretrial that they were not about that. So for the most of my 18 a year, I'm dealing with pretrial violations. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I enter into a recovery program. And that's the first time I start seeing what is recovery, what is really addiction. Mm -hmm. Because at 18 in rehab, I was the youngest person there by a good bit. And my story didn't even come close to some of the things that these other people experienced. And I will never forget the first time telling my testimony mm -hmm. in that rehab at 18 and saying to this group of people around me, I don't have to go through what you went through mm -hmm. to get clean. And I said that to at least 15 people in front of me. And I remember that so clearly because their stories became my life within mm. the next several years. I, of course, went back out after rehab, still once going back to that same people, the people, places, and things, and didn't change any of it. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying, I tried maybe a month or so to have it, to try to do something different, come back to, you know, my mom and, you know, my parents and try to start again. And then within two months of that, um, my boss ended up raping me. And so that triggered off a lot of more issues in itself. And the addiction just came back within spiraling, um, spiraling. Yeah. And I remember showing up that week to my pre-trial officer when, you know, we're already four or five violations in. And he told me I needed to just, I told him what happened, that I quit my job. And he told me the next time I saw him, uh, that I would need to be clean and that it wasn't the first time he had heard this man's name. Mm. Um, but the next time he saw me, he put me in jail. Mm. And I didn't tell anyone for quite some time because when I told him, he didn't care. Mm. And when I told my mom, she didn't believe me because of the amount of lies and excuses I was making at the time. When I told her that, it was just another excuse to get away from the house or to get high. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing what happens to us when we're young. The impact a few words uh, can have in our life. Like, it sends us on the spiral, as we've heard you talk about a couple times. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's um, painful to just to hear. Um, but it is your story. And thank goodness... It's not the end, right? Mm -hmm. But thank you for sharing that and just kind of giving us some background of um, what it looks like. And so often we think it's our fault. We take it on and we make it about what we've done wrong. And um, when we find out that it wasn't, you know, there come a point when you figured it out wasn't all your fault. Um, the healing that can come out of all of that is powerful. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, it kept going for quite yes. some more years in and out of jail with that addiction before I would even listen to what anyone had to say about recovery. It was right around turning 19 when I went back into that first 30 days in jail there was 
coming into the age of 19 and I started on probation. Uh, it only lasted about a month mm. where I was uh, within my first probation violation uh, because active addiction again. Mm. I found myself um, this time addicted to not only heroin but to also crack and mm. so at that point I remember vividly every morning being so upset that I woke up mm. and being mad at God for waking me up in the morning. And I was so, you know, I was so angry at the time, but how grateful I am now that I was arrested and put in jail because I don't know how much longer I would have lived through that yeah. feeling. Um, that was another journey in jail, another eight months, which would have been the first time I met you. That's right. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. It offered me a glimpse of hope. Mm. And it would be some years before I really held on to that piece yeah. of hope. But you planted a seed, mm. and it would take some time to finally grow. And, for me to see it, yeah. but I will never forget you seeing me and planting that seed. Mm. That eight or nine months in jail was a lot. It dealt with a lot of pain. My parents at this point are just fed up and done with the amount of pain I'm putting them through, the amount of just absolute chaos that comes with addiction. Mm. Um, chaos is a good word. <laughs> chaos. And they were just done and the next moment, you know, that I can't forget is my parents standing up in court and saying, we don't want her to come out of jail. Mm. Wow. Um, and that was harder than a lot of things because I realized in that moment I had hurt them so much that they didn't want me to even come out of the jail, mm. that they believed I was safer, better off in jail because then they didn't have to worry through the night mm. to get that phone call. Wow. Uh, the only reason you got that visit was that stepdad of yours yes. made you so mad. Yes. <laughs> Roy was so passionately, yes. he loved you so much. And your mom too. But, you know, Roy was the one that was going, hey, can you go, can you make a visit? Um, I'm like, sure. Can do this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's painful. I'm sure that was very painful. The consequences of our actions sometimes are pretty tough when we see them. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely an eye-opener to the amount of pain I had caused my mm. family. So when I had left out of the jail, I went into another rehab for now the third, or yeah, about the third time. And this was a residential 120 days. Um, and it was actually the first time that I started to hear some of the message that was coming through. It was the first time that, you know, someone could, was able to sit down and be able to get through my thick skull that recovery was a, such a better way of life. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, this woman did for me was she finally showed me why. Why would I want to get clean? Mm -hmm. Why was I using still? You know, everyone just told me to stop but never gave me enough or more from that or to deal with why I even used in the first place. Mm -hmm. And this woman sat across from me and she said, you know, I want you to say that you're beautiful. And I couldn't. Mm. And I broke and I cried. And it was the first time I felt like that I found healing. Mm -hmm. And that has been a journey from there, even through relapses. I will never forget that that is the beginning of when I decided I want to try recovery. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if this woman in front of me who's gone through years of addiction and now she's my case manager talking to me about what she's gone through and the hope and joy that she has, mm -hmm. you know, it was the first time I was like, I want what she has. Wow. And she is offering me tools to be able to get there. And I did well for a bit and I stayed in Richmond because I didn't want to go back to the people, places and things. However, over time, I stopped going to all my supports, uh -huh. of course, and found myself in that addiction piece again. And that would just cycle another time or two with more charges that would just continue to pile on until one day the judge uh, here, I got sent back up to Harrisonburg because I, uh, my original probation is here. So when I got in trouble in Richmond, they sent me up here and Judge Alberson, I'll never forget, he's like, you can't get it together. You need an ample amount of time because you obviously can't do this. And I went to prison after that. And that was a big learning experience of something I never wanted to go through again. Um, it once again opened my eyes. Uh, for the first time, I really start looking at my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I felt like prison finally gave me that time to sit down and look at that and get involved with that. And that was a big piece mm -hmm. also. Um, another, you know, as hard as these experiences are, I'm always grateful for them mm -hmm. because I know in that situation, even though I've had a relationship with God throughout my life, I definitely lost it for quite some time. Um, I would kind of get a little bit back when I'd be clean, but it was never a relationship. Um, and this was the first time that I could really experience that and would turn to him. Uh, I was really a gun-ho on having it all together when I got out of prison. However, within that first 30 days, I was living on the street, uh, which I wasn't prepared for. You know, I thought everything was going to go great and I was going to hit the road running and it didn't turn out like that. I was still very much without supports in Richmond, um, trying to do it on my own. And before I even realized it, I was uh, living in my car in Richmond. I would spend the next few months doing that in active addiction once again, until my parents, uh, Roy, you know, and we'd been working on a relationship for quite some time now, ever since <laughs> the 20 now, we start finally working on this, you know, anger. Because at this point, you know, I've just been angry for years because I was just an angry child. Mm -hmm. But Roy had then been angry because of everything I had put them through, but because his brother was also an addict and what that he had gone through. Mm -hmm. And so there was healing he had to go through. And, you know, so we had worked quite some time on this and he felt like it in his heart and he talked to my mom that he, they had to offer me a safe place to go. Mm -hmm. uh, that I wasn't going to be able to do this, definitely not living on the streets um, in Richmond, but that they really wanted to, this time, offer me grace and love mm -hmm. instead of, you know, shunning or saying, you know, we're not going to speak to you. Rooms, you know, through meetings and those Al-Anon meetings, you know, they wanted to show me love and they wanted to show me grace. Okay. And I couldn't understand it. I couldn't. <laughs> I said, I don't deserve it. And then you kept saying, it's not about what you deserve. Right. It's not about right. that. And I came home. <laughs> I now came I back to Harrisonburg. <laughs> and that's the piece of my journey that I always say to anybody is where Pastor Margaret comes into the picture 
and saves my life. Mm. Honestly saves my life. Because I came back to Harrisonburg, very much an active addiction, running back and forth to Richmond, and I started Blue Ridge, <laughs> even an active addiction coming back. But that first week I overdosed and was found dead mm. in a parking lot, and I shouldn't have made it. Yeah. Mm. But you called me and saw me every day. You introduced me to the first time a support system could happen. What it was like to have a group of people around you, love you and care about you, to offer you support when you felt like running away. It would take another little bit for me to even understand it all, but you kept showing up. <laughs> you kept calling. Show up and get to life group for our recovery meetings. And it has forever changed my life because it was the first time I realized and understood that the opposite of my addiction was connection. Mm. It was support. Amen. It was Amen. people in my life that could surround and love me for Amen. me and all my past and be open. You know, I won't forget the day on the interstate running. I mean, I was done. I, you know, just got charges that from months back in Richmond. When I got to Harrisburg, I was on the interstate, and I called Pastor Margaret. Can't go back. I'm not going back to jail. I'm not going back to prison. <laughs> not going back. I have to run. I'm going to run. And he told me to come to your life group and tell my story. Mm. And I remember that night. I mean, obviously, I had to get off the exit because Pastor Margaret has asked me to come over this evening. So I'll do that. And once again, my life changed because those people loved me and prayed for me mm. and picked me up and walked that journey with me mm. until it resolved um, in the best way that it could because the other person took responsibility for what had happened. Yeah. And I was able to see, right? Because in that moment, I wanted to run. And because I stuck with it, because I kept in communication, because I stayed in prayer and I kept, you know, we sat there every day and just asked God, you know, I'm going to ask for what you want. I have to stop asking for what I want because that's not been working in my life. Yeah, right. And really showing me what it meant to be loved, to see God's love and grace, to see if I was open to the people he could send me in my life, if I was willing to give those people a chance to help me, that it could be done, that I could get away from the madness of this addiction, that I could feel loved and worthy and proud, mm -hmm. that I could feel those things. Yeah. And I had a slip in there throughout school, but then it's still because when I slipped, I knew even in that moment, I could not go back down that road and yeah. once again picked myself back up. Yeah. And that was four years ago, this past January. Uh, that I got clean and since then it's just been a journey up and it continues to amaze me what God continues to put in my life the people he continues to show if I'm just open and willing yeah. to be part of it and to have family around me uh, to really lean into people and to not believe I could do it on my own. Uh, that has given me this past beautiful four years. Uh, it has gotten me through Blue Ridge with a degree in human service. It got me 
a full ride to marry Baldwin, so I don't owe them. Which now I'll have my bachelor's Yay! on May 16th. <laughs> so exciting. In this time, I've become a certified substance abuse counselor and a peer support specialist also. And in that, also be giving the chance to get an internship for the first time at Gemeinschaft Home. Mm. Uh, they were willing to take, and we went there because they would take my background. Mm. And I honestly, when I came in, didn't know if I wanted anything to do with the program as I knew how hard-headed I was yep. in uh, dealing, you know, trying to come into recovery and rehabs. I didn't know if I wanted to deal with anyone like myself. <laughs> and very quickly found the joy of offering support and love and care to the women that reminded me so much of myself. Right. And now, you know, I went from my second internship there to my third internship there until I was a paid internship there until I then became program manager of the day report program um, about a year and a half ago and still fighting and fighting for the cause of women having a safe place to go and a support mm -hmm. system because now I understand how important that is. Yeah. That was the missing peace yeah. was that love being surrounded that connection you know letting it go and letting god just be a part of my life yeah and knowing how important it is to feel safe in your own home mm -hmm. and so i have fought hard <laughs> and i've talked a quite a bit about a residential women's house and so the fact that now mm -hmm. i get to see that become this dream that I've had for years now since coming to this job is happening. And mm -hmm. I didn't expect that now. And I get it before I even finish school. <laughs> and so now you are the case manager um, for the women's home for Gemeinschaft, right? Even more. I'll have another title here soon, but it'll definitely, I'm not exactly sure what it'll be, but it's definitely coordinating and directing the whole house. And I would like to say that this interview is being held in that women's home. Yes. Just days before it opens. Yes. And I am sitting on the other side of the desk yes. from where I sat <laughs> many years when you and I, you know, um, and it's amazing. And now maybe, you know, I was sitting here thinking as you were sharing, I saw myself in you. <laughs> And I wanted to help you because I knew what had gotten me through. And now to see you sitting in that place. Yeah. And I've been watching you helping others. <laughs> and yeah. you're married. You have a wonderful husband, Josh. He's fabulous. He is fabulous. Yes. And um, is I know fabulous. that your parents, Roy and Rita, are just over the moon excited. Um, so I'm just, I'm so grateful today that um, you are here and um, you've taken all of that and it's become beauty for ashes. Yeah. And I know that there are ways that folks can probably get involved and we can put a link on our podcast, probably not on radio, but we can put a link in the podcast and how people can connect and get involved with you, Gemeinschaft, um, through their website and there is opportunity to partner in this community. And um, this is a bright spot. It's a bright spot in my day, personally. And it's a bright spot. Um, this community is getting a gift. Yeah. So thank you for your obedience. Yeah. 
Um, thank you for relentless parents that love yes. us, right? Amen. Yeah. And a husband that put up with some madness there for a little bit and got through that bit of addiction with me to see who the real me was. Yeah. And he loved me until I could love myself in that mm. moment. And I'm so grateful for that. And yes. my, all of these relationships I have, my support groups and my family, the people I call my family now, mm -hmm. it's amazing. And to see you walk in the door of a recovery group to bring others to recovery. It's a hot water mark. <laughs> it is, and it is such a joy. I never yeah. knew that this would bring me so much happiness, and I had no idea that I would be sitting here today. Mm -hmm. I would never expect to sit in the main office of a women's recovery house. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited for this and what it's going to offer and what it'll become. For those listening today, I hope that if there's something that you're struggling with, I hope that um, Michelle's testimony has been um, a half hour hope. Right. Also, maybe the thing that you're struggling with one day God will use to help others. And so don't give up for those that are listening. Don't give up um, and don't give up on those you love. Um, tough love and community can do uh, wonders um, in God's kingdom. Right. Michelle, thank you for joining us today on Front Porch Talks. And uh, certainly uh, your testimony has brought hope to others and is bringing hope to others. It's been a joy to have you all come to my beautiful new office. <laughs> it's been a joy to be here. <laughs> yes, for sure. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that as you've heard Michelle Roberts' testimony, that it's been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.